0: Well, greetings and salutations, everybody! Welcome to the best damn move relays on the Flander at The John Campy Show coming from right here on my YouTube channel. Brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you. Our international friends gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world. Movies and movie news, TV and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff. Lots of award stuff to talk about here today. And joining me for all this happy discussion, sitting over here is one Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Sitting back there is an Oscar voter, I bet you didn't know that, Ray Aura. Sitting right beside him in the background, we've got Taylor there. we got Jonathan running the show in front of him. And of course, the delightful Chris Carr is here. And most importantly you guys are here. Thank you so much for making this show part of your day. And here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to break it into two parts. First half of the show, we're going to talk about some predetermined topics. Then in the second part of the show, for those of you who are beloved channel members, and thank you so much for those of you who are, we're going to open up the uh, questions to you guys, our channel members. You can either use your month anniversary chats to send them in or in the community tab, Jonathan is going to be setting up a post just for our members and you can fire in questions as comments on that post. And we'll get through a bunch of them in the second part of the show all right a little bit of housekeeping here guys just want to update you that if you guys need an audio only version of the john campia show good news we do have the john campia show podcast just go onto your favorite podcasting app of choice subscribe to it today so it'll be there when you need it all right with that all down guys we got a bunch of stuff to get here today so let's jump right into it and we're going to start with this you know rob (laughs) you know going back a couple months as uh, as the uh, transition started to happen with Warner Brothers, mm. and a lot of people were very, <laughs> boo-hoo, oh, boo-hoo, I don't like what they're doing to Warner. Listen, and I, and I was the one guy, the lone voice in the wilderness, screaming out like an old man screaming in the clouds, they're doing everything right. The Warner Brothers transition, they're doing everything right. And people ask me, John, why do you like what David Zaslav's doing over there so well. I said, well, I've, I have to like it because everything I have said for years that I think they need to do, he's doing. Mm. So if I don't like it, there's something wrong with that. And I love it. And, you know, of course, the stock stock started to drop. And we said on the show, of course, it's going to drop and it's going to continue dropping for a little while because there's all this transition. They have to clean up a lot of mess. Yes, that the a AT- lot of debt. A lot of mess and a lot of debt that the AT&T ownership left behind. And we said, of course, and it's going to continue to drop. But... We said, once the house starts to get in order here, you're going to see it turn around. Well, we had somebody write in yesterday about how, hey, John, we listened. I listened to what you said about that. So I bought some Warner Brothers stock and he had made a bunch. It's gone up. Well, now the major trades are reporting Wall Street is very big on Warner Brothers right now. Uh, this is a headline in the Hollywood Reporter. Talking about Warner Brothers discovery on a roll with Wall Street after uh, analysts give it a big upgrade a day After two analyst peers touted the shares, Guggenheim Michael Morris sees a 31% upside to this report in a thing called Chapter 2 Management Takes Control of the Story. Now, this is what it says in the article. It says, just a day after two bullish analyst reports uh, with one expert touting it as Warner Brothers as his new favorite media stock, Warner Brothers Discovery got another Wall Street expression of love on Wednesday as Guggenheim's Michael Morris upgraded the shares from neutral to buy. In his report... Entitled, Chapter 2 Management Takes Control of the Story, he highlighted a 12-month stock price target of $16.50, emphasizing that this was representing a 31% upside to the potential. After a tough 2022 for the stock, Warner Brothers Discovery Management, led by CEO David Zaslav, is expecting to focus here this year on showing uh, it is on track for cost savings from the Discovery Warner Media merger that was created by the company last year, unveiling its combined streaming service, and other possible catalysts for its shares. Now, it goes on to explain why they're so positive on this. Explain Morris... We see an attractive narrative for the first half of 2023 with the impact of a recently announced domestic affiliate uh, affiliate renewals, strong cost controls, and the upcoming launch of a restructured uh, HBO Max product as as a key catalyst. Cost discipline at the direct-to-consumer in particular should bolster confidence in the company's ability to meet consensus 2023 earnings before interest taxes depreciation on and on. Anyway, Wall Street is saying they've done everything right. They have positioned this thing in a healthy way and positioned it for success moving forward into the future, which is what I've been saying. I'm also the guy who said that Top Gun Maverick would not make 1.5 billion dollars or 1.4, and it did. But in this case, we've been saying that everything they're doing is positioning themselves for long-term success. And now all the major trades and Wall Street are all looking at it and say, yeah. This is, according to this report, they said this is the best media company buy you could have. Anyway, Rob, you saw the, the article in question. What was your takeaway from it? Well, I mean, like you said, John, we're watching somebody who aggressively took
1: over the company, who asked everybody in town, how do you run a company? You know, how do I run a movie studio? Um, which, when do you ever hear people do that? You know, and, and, and then he started making swift, decisive change.
0: He swung that axe, John, and he staffed his executive inner circle with the best. Yeah, that's the best people. I mean, he did
1: actually. He did what you'd think any captain of industry would do, and and he was doing it. You know, it's interesting, John, because in Hollywood, everyone's always hedging their bets. Everybody's scared because they're afraid of failure. Well, Zaslav wasn't afraid of failure, and when you see people come in and do the things they know they should do. And they are decisive. Usually, they do so because they believe in themselves and they believe in what they know. And Zaslav, what he didn't know, he went out and found out from the people that do know. What should I know? And and he worked to that effect. And I wish, I wish that a lot of entertainment companies would look at the way. Now, that's not to say he's still got a long way to go. Oh, absolutely.
0: There's a lot of debt. There's a lot of debt. And 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 not only a lot of debt, but they're while they have overcome a bunch of hurdles. Uh, before anybody breaks out the party hats of Warner Brothers, there we can all see there are still more hurdles ahead. Yeah. Like they still have more challenges they have to face ahead that they're going to have to navigate. But they're off to a good start.
1: Yes, but you know the morale at that studio is, from what I've heard, pretty pretty down in the doldrums because
0: I heard it was months ago. It's still I've heard it it's depend, not quite it, that way today. It
1: depends what department you're in because people don't know what's going on. Right. People and 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 they don't know what's going on because not everybody. I don't think at the top they know what's going on. There's still it's still an adjustment period. But for the most part, look, I think like I said, you know, now we have fans bitching and moaning about our deck of the woods, Peter Safran and, and and James Gunn taking over. But let's hear what they have to
0: say first. Well, and that's one of, I think the the Safran James Gunn thing and solidifying and stabilizing what DC is and give it. That's one of the big reasons that I think the company stock has turned around.
1: I think so too. And we're i I'm, and whether we're going to get an announcement today, tomorrow, by the end of the month, I think it's pretty
0: exciting. Chris, you saw this report. I mean, look, again, like a doctor to a patient, not out of the woods yet. I mean, Ew. there's still a long way to go. And it's a never-ending battle. The the battle in Hollywood is always perpetual and ongoing. But what were some of the things that stood out to you in this?
2: Well, I mean, the big thing here is, like you were saying, don't bust out those party hats. Don't bust out, like, some stock investments right now because they're still operating at a loss. Yes. They're still going to. It's just less of a loss. They're not projecting that they're going to see a profit until 2024, but they are on the right track. I'm no Jonathan Voitko. I'm not going to tell you what to invest in or not invest in, but I think it is important to just show they're still in that kind of growing payings era of how they're trying to shift everything over and make a more profitable business. But for the next year, we're still going to see them operating at a loss.
0: As as is Disney. Uh, Disney Plus took a $4 billion loss. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, but that that road ahead... That, that launch pad, if you will, might be a little bit shorter than people originally thought. Anyway, guys, it's just always like with all the doom and gloom that we've had to talk about, you know, reports about Netflix stuff, the Warner Brothers stuff, the Disney stuff. It's nice to come out and uh, see like, hey, you know what? Wall Street loves this stock. This one's looking good. Anyway, whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys, with that down, Let's move on to another off the top here, shall we? And that one is this. Now, last night uh was what I refer to as the, the biggest tits night on in Hollywood, <laughs> the tits on the on a bull <laughs> night, which is another saying for useless, the Golden Globes. <laughs> but I have to acknowledge as as stupid as I think the Golden Globes are, for whatever reason, for decades and decades and decades, people have ascribed some kind of importance to them. Mm. Now, I know they're stupid, but I acknowledge that they are seen by a lot of people as being significant and important and they have a big role to play and I acknowledge that. Well, we're going to talk about the Golden Globes here in just a little bit because a couple of really key things happened at them last night. But very quietly, this morning, as far as acting goes, other than the Oscars, the most important award season nominations came out. The SAG nominations. The Screen Actors Guild. Which, if you are an actor, there is no other award you want Uh, Other than an Oscar, there's no other award you want more than the SAGs. And the Screen Actors Guild is one of those big precursors to the Oscars that a lot of people look at. And the official nominations came out yesterday. So let's take a look at these nominations, shall we? Uh, If we can go over to my screen here. There we go. Uh, First of all, their version of Best Picture, which is outstanding performance by a cast. That's kind of their version of Best Picture. The nominees are Babylon, which makes sense because despite the mixed reception, pretty much across the board, everybody acknowledged the performances were fantastic. So that one makes sense. So the nominees are Babylon, the Banshees of Inishirin, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Women and Women Talking. I think think it's going to go to the Banshees of Inishirin in this one uh we're going to talk about some of the other awards going on but we'll jump back around to this too let's just get through the the nominees outstanding performance by a female actor in a leading role Kate blanchette for tar viola davis for the woman king anna de armis for norma jean blonde as playing norma jean and blonde uh daniel uh deadweiler in uh till michelle yo in everything everywhere all at once Nominees for outstanding performance by a male actor in a leading role: Austin Butler in Elvis, who won the Golden Globe last night. We'll talk about that in a bit. Colin Farrell uh, in The Banshees of Inisherin, who also won the Golden Globe last night. Again, we'll talk about that in a bit. Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Bill Nighy in Living, one of your top ten favorite films of the year, uh, and Adam Sandler in Hustle, which is a little bit of a surprise one. Outstanding performance by a female actor in a supporting role. Angela Bassett for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Hong Xiao for The Whale. Carrie Condon for The Banshees of Inishiran. Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere All at Once. And Stephanie Hsu for Everything Everywhere All at Once, who I also loved very, very much in Shang-Chi. Outstanding performance by a male actor in a supporting role. Paul Dano for the Fablemans, Brennan Gleeson for the Banshees of Inishirin, Barry Keoghan for the Banshees of Inishirin, Hugh Kwan for Everything Ever All At Once, and Eddie Redmayne for The Good Nurse. So these are kind of the big major, major, major ones. So Chris, let me go over to you first. Let's start on, let's get your pick here about who you think will win and who you think should win. Start with the big award for the night, Best Ensemble. We got Babylon, Banshees of Inishirin, uh, everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans and Women Talking. Which one do you think should, which one will?
2: I think that Everything Everywhere All at Once should win. But when we're looking at an ensemble cast, Banshees of Inisherin is phenomenal. I mean, that core cast is really, really great as well. And I think it's probably going to go to them. Um, as far as the other major acting awards, I think that we are going to see Michelle Yao take on Best Actress, um, which is very well deserved, I think we're going to see uh, Kwan still win as well. Again, very, very well deserved. When it comes to supporting female, um, I really would like it to go to Jamie Lee Curtis. I would love that, but I do think that's going to go elsewhere or to Steph- uh, Stephanie too. Um, Who else was nominated in that one? I think it probably will still get Angela to Bassett, Bassett. Yeah, uh, Carrie Condon, that Jamie
0: Lee Curtis. Um, yeah.
2: Hong Chau is amazing in the whale as well, but I think Angela Bassett will take that one. Um, yeah. And I also think we need to add, just so everyone knows too, because I I love the SAG Awards. I'm a sag after member. I think they're amazing. I've served on the committee before for nominating. Um, They're going to stream for the first time live on on, on Netflix's YouTube channel as well, which is really, really cool. So you guys can actually watch it because sometimes it's buried on like TNT, or if you don't have cable, you don't get to watch it. And it's really, really great because to your point about like, this is what actors really, really care about because it's your peers voting for you. So there are sometimes a lot of surprises because it isn't so much about the campaigning here. Here, it really is about what your fellow actors thought of your performance. So we might see some surprises along the way too, like having Adam Sandler get a nomination in general.
0: All right. I'll give my picks and then we'll let you take it home, Rob. So for outstanding um, uh, ensemble, I think the Fablemans has a real shot, but I do think it's going to be Banshees of Inisherin. I mean, especially when you look at the number of individual uh, nominations they have, I think it's going to be Banshees of Inisherin. As far as outstanding performance by female actor in a leading role... I I I would love to see Michelle Yeoh, who took home a Golden Globe yesterday. But it's going to be Cate Blanchett. I I, I really think it's going to be Cate Blanchett. Ooh. Although I would be very excited to see Michelle Yeoh, but Cate Blanchett in Tar was like crazy next level. All right, outstanding performance by a male actor in a leading role. I who I, I think it's going to be Colin Farrell. I think Colin Farrell gets his Oscar. Uh, For Banshees of Innocent, I I think Austin Butler was, he carried that movie. Austin Butler carried Elvis. Brennan Frazier, a career defining performance. Bill Nye is always Bill Nye, but I I really do think it's going to be Colin Farrell uh, for Banshees of Innocent. We'll take home uh, that. Uh, Outstanding performance by a female actor in a supporting role. It's going to be Angela Bassett. I mean, I think Jamie Lee Curtis is getting some love in there, but I think it's, it's going to be Angela Bassett. Outstanding performance by a male actor in a supporting role. I, I think Banshee's of Inishir wins this again. I think it's going to be Brendan Gleeson, although I would love to see Kihu Kwan. I would love to see Paul Dano. Let's be honest here. I don't see anybody on this list that I would have a problem with if they won. No. So whoever they announce in this list wins, I'm perfectly good with it, but I think it's probably going to be Brennan Gleeson. Um, and yeah, so there it is. Rob, let's go over to you here. We'll start off with the big prize, best ensemble cast. Which one do you think it goes to? I think to? it's
1: going to go to Banshees of Inishirin. I mean, look, to be honest, I love the cast of uh, Babylon. It's a great cast. It's a great cast, but you know what? It's very showy. You know, and I, I think for, for the SAG Awards, what, I mean, I got to go back to my favorite word, verisimilitude, you know, and I think Banshee's of Sheeran, I just saw it. And it's, it, the, the performance is kind of like three billboards. I mean, that guy knows how to, McDonough yeah, he knows really how to direct it. actors. And the, the performances are are heartbreaking and uh, just, it's incredible. But, you know, everything, everywhere, all at once, again, showy, fun, good performances but this, is that what SAG's going to go for? To me, I see I see Fablemans or Banshees of Inishirin. Yeah,
0: Fablemans is going to be
1: strong, too. Again, because the kind of acting. Yeah.
0: All right, well, let's get you on then to Although performance. Although, I have to
1: say, that cast for women talking is stacked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have not seen that movie yet. No, um, that's, I've been waiting for my screener. Uh, it's supposed to be incredible. And All it's right. literally just women talking talking
0: let's get you on to outstanding performance by a female actor in Kate a leading Blanchett. role
1: yeah right. i'm obsessed with this movie now like i own this movie I'm <laughs> well, it was your with this number
0: movie. one favorite film yeah of i'm totally obsessed
1: with this movie but now that i have it at my beck and call i just watch it you know parts <laughs> of it i but i will say this i think there could be a big upset anna de armas could take could, could upset that would be my you dark horse so? i do because her performance was absolutely fearless Maybe and I could see the act. I don't know. What do you think, Chris? Could Anna Darmus throw in the upset for playing what she did with Look, Norm?
2: I'm going to be completely honest. I have not watched this film because I I oh, don't think hardcore. I will be able to watch this. It, yeah, it no, is, it's hardcore. It's a That's why that I just cannot watch. Um, or Danielle
1: maybe, Deadweiler is also getting. Oh, great. which
2: she gave a heartbreaking performance. Oh my gosh, Till is another difficult watch, but in a very very different emotional kind of way. Um, Anna Diarmas could pull it out though, just because you know I. Other actors watching what she went through, yes. how she had to prepare, prepare, how she had to train, all of that. I mean, you could, I could see a lot of other. People I, yeah, I could see
0: for the her. upset happening. I could
1: see yeah.
2: any of
0: these. Uh, actually, see, this- I would say the dark horse is Viola Davis. I, I, I think there's a much higher chance Viola Davis gets it than Anna Darmus. I, I actually think. Anna DeArmas' name on here, while a deserved place, is actually kind of a surprise that it's on the list.
1: I think it's a total surprise, but the but fact I don't that think it's she on man. the list says something. And I think Danielle Denweiler is a dark horse candidate too. All right, too.
0: let's move you on, then, to Outstanding Performance by a Male Colin Actor Farrell's, in the Leading Role. Colin Farrell's going to take it.
1: I mean, again, Austin Butler did a great job as Elvis. It was showy. He, he was really fantastic. really inhabited yeah. the role. He was terrific. Uh, but I do think Colin Farrell is going to take it. Although, again, Bill Nye as is heartbreaking and he
0: does a great job. All right, let's get on to outstanding performance by a female actor in a supporting role. Angela Bassett. Yeah, not 100%. I, I mean, I think if there is an outside shot of somebody else other than Angela Bassett, I think it might be Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. But but I think you're right on that. All right, let's get you into the last one here outstanding performance by a male actor in support. This could be the most competitive one.
1: It's brutal, dude. I mean, it's look, K. Hugh Kwan's great, but I, I think, I honestly think, in this particular case, at the SAG Awards, not the Academy Awards, but the SAG Awards, I think Paul Dano's going to take it.
0: Oh, you think Paul Dano's going to get it? Yeah. He was phenomenal Yeah, in this thing. Absolutely phenomenal. All right, guys, the question for you is, the SAG Awards have come out. It's it's a terrific list. A couple little surprises there. A lot of stuff that we were expecting. Question is for you, who do you think are going to win in the various movie categories? Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comment section below. And let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's keep things rolling here. You know, we've got, we're have got we celebrating the films that were in 2022. Mm. Well, let's look back and look at some of the films that came out 10 years ago this week. Oh, God. And 20 years ago this week in a little segment we call Rewind, shall we? Let's start off. With movies, this is a segment I refer to as the feeling old segment. Yeah, I'm going to be dead soon segment. Let's start with the movies that came out 10 years ago this week. We're starting with Gangster Squad. Maybe. It's definitely in my top three of my most disappointing films ever of all time i am right there with you man i was so psychotically excited about this movie i thought this movie was a guaranteed best picture nominee at the academy awards the the cast is stacked it's it's going to be the best thing ever it's going to be the best thing ever i remember that was at amc at the time i was telling the audience this is going to be it this is the movie man marketing was great the marketing was fantastic and it is crap here comes Santa Claus. Here comes it has. Check this out again. It has a very generous thirty percent Rotten Tomatoes. Which hey, it's it's all subjective. So thirty percent of the pe- people liked it uh, and made a box office hundred five million. Gangster Squad turns ten years old this week. All right, next up, we got a haunted house. <laughs> Another example of the spoof genre being driven headfirst into the ground. Ugh. This movie was an unfunny sack of crap oh boy it was bad and it's too bad too because you got some really funny people in it at any rate nine percent rotten tomatoes and it ended up pulling in 60 million dollars all right next one up here the impossible which i'm going to tell you what i really quite like this movie i love it this was this was a movie that i did not think it was marketed well i wasn't all that excited about it despite the fact that i had naomi watts ewan mcgregor all that kind of stuff but I'll tell you what I really quite enjoyed this film, and, and most of the critics did too. Eighty one percent, and a surprising ten years ago, two hundred million dollars at the box office, and it's really funny because I never hear anybody talk about this movie.
3: Yeah, I so, missed it. I wanted to see it. Yeah. So now is that it for the ten? Uh, we got. I think. Let's see. Or
0: do we have one more for the ten?
3: We have one more. Oh,
0: one more. This is the one that makes me shake my head, going. This was ten years ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. Zero Dark Thirty, which a fantastic movie, completely fantastic movie. 91% of Rotten Tomatoes. Didn't do huge at the box office, but I'm telling you, this movie was great. 130. It was really the first starring vehicle for uh, uh,
1: just, just Jessica
0: in. Chastain. It was really the first lead starring vehicle for Jessica Chastain, uh, which I was really excited. I was really excited about her at that time. And Chris Pratt, who was, we were just starting to see him in some dramatic stuff. So whatever. Uh, but I cannot believe that movie is 10 years old. I was at the premiere for this movie. Wow. And I, and this is back when Chris was still with, um, I almost said, Anna Darmus, uh, Anna Ferris. When Chris Pratt and Anna Ferris were still married. And I remember talking to them at the premiere and stuff, but that was 10 years ago. Anyway. All right. Well, if you think 10 years ago was bad, Buckle up, everybody. Let's look at the film's turning 20 years old. Aww. Buckle up, buckaroo. <laughs> Just Married was 20, 20, 20 years ago. Uh, Ashton Kutcher, uh, Brittany Murphy, uh, who we all miss, and... Um, Je- I, look, I want to be able to say, you know, this movie was... It wasn't. This was a really bad movie. <laughs> anyway, you got it. It's
2: terrible, but she's perfect. She is. She was perfect. Ugh, I love her absolutely was.
0: Uh, so Just Married. By the way, I don't care. It's a great poster, too. I mm-hmm. love the poster. It's a very yeah. simple poster, but it communicates the spirit of the movie. I love the poster. Anyway, made 20% uh, critic rating, $101 million. Not bad. Also opening 20 years ago, we've got... Antoine Fisher, which, you know, directed by Denzel Washington in the career of Denzel and everybody talked. This is one that doesn't get brought up a lot. I think this is one of his better movies, to be honest with you. I really enjoyed it. Didn't do huge at the box office. Twenty three million dollars. This is one. It does feel like it was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But yeah, 20 years ago. And there's one more, isn't there? Yeah.
3: But I just want to point out, look at the difference here. Twenty percent, hundred million. Seventy eight percent, twenty three million. Well, show, yeah. Yeah. but what
0: was a light-hearted comedy that people yeah. like to go to the movies to see, and then Narc, a surprisingly good little film. This film's incredible. Yeah, I've with Jason Patrick Ray Liotta, directed
1: by uh, Joe Carnahan, kicking ass.
0: I remember we like when we, after the sad passing of Ray Liotta, we brought up. Narc again. This is this is an unfortunately overlooked film. And look, nobody went to go see it. Twelve million bucks at the box office. This is a criminally overlooked kind of movie.
1: John, can I just tell you that in my collection, Narc is one of the last remaining DVDs. And thanks to Kelvin Wellborn in uh, Australia, it was just put out in Blu-ray in Australia. Oh wow! I will own it, so I get to do my little
0: replacement ritual. So Rob, let's start with you. We're looking at all these films that are turning 10 years old this week and turning 20. Which one stand out well, to the, you? The
1: Impossible is a movie that, that was a thing I didn't see in the theater. I bought it on on disc, brought it home, and it was like one o'clock in the morning when I started watching this movie. I don't know why I was so late. A half, John, a half an hour in, I literally had my knees up and I was crouched behind like watching. It was so stressful. that First of all, that movie has some of the most convincing flooding effects I have ever seen in my life. I, I, I was like, how did they really? I And then I went and there was a great video about how they did some of this stuff online. I love this movie. I've never like I was literally I've never felt so anxious. I don't think ever watching a movie and it is based on a true story it's a little the 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 uh Hugh McGregor and Naomi Watts and their son isn't it it's Tom Holland it's
0: baby tom, tom holland. holland oh that's right yeah, yeah tom holland he
1: was so good in and, and 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 t- t- i mean anybody who's ever stayed at a beach resort will watch this movie and and literally your heart you'll get heart palpitations i mean it's a genius movie i probably watched this movie four or five times since <laughs> then and every time i watch it even though i know it's going to turn out okay i'm still like oh my god it's an incredible but what do you say
0: <laughs> the movie's 10 years old <laughs> he well, spoiled the movie well no but i mean it's, it's I the world it's doesn't ten-year-old, end it's a 10 year old movie you know
1: got. um no people get people get wrecked <laughs> don't don't and then and then are we talking about that's that's 10 years you're 20 and then narc you know i just i love narc narc to me was a real it was joe carnahan fulfilling the promise he made with his like his early movie blood guts bullets and octane And it was a real throwback to like French Connection and what Friedkin was doing with cop films in the 70s. It's really great, and, and Ray Liotta and Jason Patrick knocked that
0: out of the park. All right, Chris, which uh, we got some movies turning 10, movies turning turn 20. Any of these bunch. really stand out to you? I mean,
2: first, how nice was it last night, though, when Paul Walter Hauser was like, Ray Liotta, stand up, stand up for Ray Liotta during the Golden Globes. It was mm. beautiful. He I was. loved that he gave him a little, little moment in the sun. Um, gosh, so many of these I did not see, but Zero Dark Thirty <laughs> marked basically when I moved to L.A., because um, that's when all improv teams were making fun of that movie and trying to come up with pithy names for their improv troops of like zero dark chocolate um, and stuff like that. So that one's always just stuck in my brain. And it was like when we were first really seeing Chris Pratt, like you were saying, and seeing him kind of outside of doing comedy and everything. Um, Brittany Murphy. I love so much. Just married. Isn't good. It's not a good movie, but gosh, is she cute. She's so lovely. And I think she could have just had such an amazing career. It always breaks my heart. uh, Every time I see an old film of hers too. Um, Gosh, and the rest of them, I really, I really didn't see most of these films. I, I stayed at yeah, home. All of them all
0: are yeah. older. Anyway, guys, question is for you. When we're looking back at the films that turned 10 and 20 years old this week, which ones are the ones that stand out to you? For me, for all the wrong reasons, it's uh, Gangster Squad. I'm, uh, one of my most disappointed films ever. you are right about that. Though. What about you guys? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys that down let's get into another off the top here shall we and that one is this (laughs) don't know if you've heard but uh there was a football game the other day and during it they played a little trailer for an upcoming marvel movie a little no pun intended for ant-man and the wasp quantum mania is on its way and a lot of people got very excited about the trailer. I, I personally liked it quite a bit. I wonder how it's going to play with general movie-going audiences. That aside, there's a lot of things to be excited about. Well, we heard director Peyton Reed say before that, you know, his Ant-Man films have been kind of the change of gears, the palate cleansers, very, very necessary in the MCU, to be honest with you. But he said, you know, I wanted this Ant-Man film to be an Avengers-level film. Well, according to one of the big Marvel execs, that's exactly what this movie is. Because one of the head honchos over there, his name is Stephen Bussard. He is the uh, vice president of production at Marvel Studios and a producer on a number of the films. He was talking about the upcoming Ant-Man film, and he compared it to... Winter Soldier and Civil War as far as its pivotal nature and everything coming in the MCU. And he said this. We can go over to my screen here for this. He said the following. He said, we talk about movies like Captain America, the Winter Soldier, in which you saw the fall of S.H.I.E.L.D., and it felt like the entirety of the MCU turned on that. Captain America Civil War was another film where you saw heroes divided in camps and battle lines being drawn. And it really felt like the future of the MCU was going to be defined by the actions of that film. He's absolutely right. It did. We really like the idea of making this Ant-Man film as important and integral to the MCU going forward. So what this Marvel exec is essentially saying, he's saying that, In the same way that we watched Civil War and came out of it going, this changes everything about the MCU. You now have Avengers fighting Avengers. Half the Avengers are technically, you know, on the run from the law. It changed the entire perplexion of what the MCU was and our understanding of it as fans. And now he's saying Ant-Man is going to be that. Ant Man is going to be that thing where our perception of the MCU and how we see it going forward is going to be fundamentally altered. Now, we've all speculated about that. Kevin Feige said a while ago, like, yeah, the audience doesn't really see the big picture idea of what's going on in the MCU right now with phase four and going into phase five, but we're going to be revealing it soon. And we've speculated that ant-man and the wasp quantum media is going to be that reveal that this is the movie that's going to answer a lot of the questions not just about ant-man but also about the mcu as a whole ever since the beginning of phase four and apparently is going to end on a note where it's going to fundamentally change the way we see the projection and and the trajectory of the marvel cinematic universe in an ant-man film so that's interesting to me anyway rob you heard his comments what's your takeaway from it well, I mean,
1: it sounds good to me. I, I, I mean, look, I, I, I would imagine with... They even say in the trailer, in this new trailer, it's witnessed the beginning of a new dynasty. We know that one of the, the first of the next Avengers movies is going to be the Kang dynasty. Kang is a pivotal big bad in the Marvel universe, the Marvel Comics universe, and he's coming to wreak havoc that he's already started, or one iteration of Kang has already started that. We saw that in Loki. I'm expecting big things from this, and it's really interesting... One of the things I really like about what we seem to be getting here is you've got Kang going up against perhaps the least of the MCU characters. I love these movies. I love Paul Rudd. But it's kind of interesting to see the man whose powers is being diminutive, being small. Well, it's not even his powers. Big. It's
0: the suit. Again, I, kind of the Iron man of everything. But it's I the mean, suit that makes him small.
1: Yeah, but the 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 idea that it's him who is the front line of defense against Kang I love, I think this idea is great. And of course, the stakes are high. He's fighting for his daughter, his family, and I guess the rest of the human race. It's going to be really interesting to see where they play this out. And we've talked about how interested we are and what else is happening in this movie. Are we going to see them kill a bunch of Avengers in various variants or I don't know. But I, I, I expect a lot from this movie. And I think the trailers have shown us very little.
0: Chris, we're hearing these comments. Ant-Man is coming. I mean, Ant-Man has been, as as a sub franchise in the MCU. It's been one of the lower box office one. I think our that, Sorbet. But both hovered around this I think that you can double check this for me, Taylor, but I think it hovers around the six hundred million dollar mm-hmm. mark normally. But they're saying this is gonna have like major implications. You've heard his comments What do you glean from them?
2: Well, this lines up with what we were talking about on Weekly Hero this week, was that this trailer was going to show a huge tonal shift and it makes sense for where we are in this phase of Marvel. I know the phases don't really mean anything, but this is setting up a new dynasty, right? We can't have that kind of rom-com, feel-good kind of movie that we typically get with Ant-Man and the Wasp. This is going to delve into some really, really serious issues. Uh, I saw this great comment on our video that said this, this movie's gonna kill more Scots than Braveheart. (laughs) I love that that is a great comment Um, but I think this is really really going to be an intense film we've got familial drama generational drama we have a whole bunch of stuff that's going to happen in this as well as setting up our big bad for what's to come so I think that Civil War kind of comparison makes a lot of sense here
0: well guys the question is for you Marvel execs are saying that this film is going to be kind of as pivotal as Civil War was which uh, can it be Can at this point? I don't know if it is. That's pretty interesting, especially the fact that they're doing it, like Rob said, with a character like Ant-Man. What do you make about these comments? Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on now to our Mint Mobile Hotline question of the day. If you guys have a question for the show and you'd like to hear your voice on it, go ahead and call our Mint Mobile Hotline anytime, 24-7 at 951-268- 4259. Leave a message. Ryan Reynolds will personally ensure that it gets delivered to me, and maybe you'll hear it here on the show. All right, today's Mint Mobile Hotline question is asking about the rise of video game adaptations. Hey, John Crew. This is Blake, and my question has to do with the recent trend of TV and movie adaptations of popular video games. So, my question is do you think that this is Hollywood's new version of? The young adult movie adaptations, kind of like Divergent and The Maze Runner. And more importantly, do you think audiences will end up getting burnt out of TV and movie adaptations of popular video games, just like they did for young adult novels? Thanks,
3: bring on the filthy.
0: All right, thanks a lot for phoning that in, Blake. And it's a really interesting question, because it used to be, when are we going to get some video game adaptations? And now we got a, just a slew of them coming. We got a whole bunch of video game adaptations, not only that are getting ready to come up on our big and small screens. Last of us starts this Sunday, but I mean, a whole ton of them production. We've got Sony that ded- created a completely dedicated studio just to adapting its video game properties into movies. It's like nothing we've ever seen before. Now you're right. The YA phase came in heavy and hot, went out pretty quickly with a whimper, with certain standouts like the Twilight franchise, which, by the way, made a lot of money. The Hunger Games stuff, which, by the way, made a lot of money. Uh, others that didn't do as well, Divergent, and, and a couple of others. So it's an interesting question to ask. With all this new you know, influx of video game adaptation material coming, could the general audience grow fatigued of it as quickly and have it burn out as quickly as I say did with the YA stuff. And by the way, YA stuff still exists. It's still just nowhere near as prominent as it was for that short window of time. Hey, we're getting another Hunger Games movie this year. Yeah, That's yeah. right, we are. So I would say there is a one big key fundamental difference between the YA example. And again, it's a fair question, but between the YA stuff and the video game stuff. The YA stuff was all incredibly similar in tone. Whether you're looking at Twilight or Divergent or Hunger Games or or whatever, while they were very different base stories, they were YA targeted, right? They had that feel. They had that DNA. And so an audience could go to it, watch them, and very easily feel like, I feel like we've seen this before, or I feel like we've done this before. Not to say that some of them weren't great. A couple of the Hunger Games movies were fantastic. I really like the first Divergent, all that kind of stuff. But you could be forgiven for saying it all has a very common DNA amongst itself. Whereas video game adaptation is far more broad. For example, we are getting ready for two big properties to hit our screens. Last of Us and Mario Brothers. <laughs> These ain't nothing alike like there is there is absolutely nothing you can draw some connective tissue on a DNA level they both came from a video game format all right but this is a completely different things and i think that is the one thing now i'm not saying that video game adaptations are going to become the, as the the next comic book movies so i'm not necessarily saying that but i don't think it will suffer that kind of recoil that the YA adaptations did because they are so vastly different from each other. We were just talking about Borderlands the other day. I mean, that movie is going to be incredibly different from a lot of the other stuff we have coming. Anyway, Chris, you hear this. I mean, we we saw YA come in strong, Mm -hmm. fell out of being a hot property for a while, even though the movies still exist around here. Could video game adaptations suffer that same fate?
2: I mean, yeah, to your point, if they were all the same kind of video game, if we were all the same genre. Off camera, we were talking about this where for me really that kind of YA boom was when it was all the dystopian YA stories yeah, yeah. of Hunger Games and then Divergent and Maze Runner. And um, there were there was another one about like aliens taking over you or something. I don't even remember what it was. Uh. But they, <laughs> that, that shows how good it was. But I think these are all so varied in their tone. All that they share is a medium. And now they're going to just share a different medium, right? They're not the same stories. Borderlands is wildly different than Last of Us, is wildly different from Super Mario Brothers. Now, if we were getting a whole bunch of first-person shooters coming to the big screen, then yes, we Mm. could suffer fatigue. If we were only getting, like, Mario, Donkey Kong, those kind of players from the Nintendo world, sure. But having Mario and then, you know, we'll talk about this later, potentially Zelda, those are really different stories. Those are really different kind of things that you play, too. So I don't think we'll have that kind of fatigue, especially if these are done well that's the thing. The YA boom, a lot of them were just shitty. I mean, they just weren't good movies. They were trying to play with a blueprint that didn't always work. If they have good stories, strong characters, great, great storytelling, then we'll all tune in.
0: Rob, I mean, it, it, we see fads come and go in Hollywood all the time. How are the video game ones positioned right now?
1: Well, I think they're, it's very different from YA because the YA novels had teen protagonists. And they all kind of were, like you said, variations on the dystopian theme, a little romance involved, mm-hmm. some authoritarian government. There's somebody that had usually to be a love triangle. Yes, yes, Most usually lo- a love tri- triangle, triangle as well. Yeah. Something it. whereas video games are not constrained by the genre or type of movie they are. I mean, John, I watched the, a behind the scenes trailer for um, Gran Turismo, which is a racing game. Yeah. And it, they, it looks like they applied what, what they did with Top Gun Maverick to racing in terms of camera rigs and the way we're going to see races shot. And it was this, this trailer was it focused on the behind the scenes, like how they were shooting the races, which looked really cool. Gran Turismo also couldn't be as different. Well, I guess Mario Kart, but Gran Turismo is different from Mario brothers, which is different from the last of us. I, I think it's different. I mean, what people are looking for, whether it's books, whether it's video games, whether it's reboots of TV shows, people are looking for great, ip to adapt into hopefully great stories that become great movies and i think video games have a far more diverse pool to draw from in terms of i mean you could do a western in red dead redemption if you wanted to you know you could do your warcraft or your which they've done but you can do all kinds of different stories the real question is like how do you screw up assassin's creed oh Oh, wait
0: (laughs) yeah that (laughs) was yeah that was one of the worst ever (laughs)
1: Yeah, and it's 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 like just because it's got a video game that people love doesn't mean it's going to make a great movie. And I hope, look, I want I want all movies to be good, but what I do think the the what video games have that YA fiction doesn't is a diversity of stories to draw from.
0: You know, look, not to play, but I don't want to beat a dead horse, I don't want to to play with formula or anything, but man, you know what would have been great in Assassin's Creed? <laughs> I, I always go back to this. Oh my God, that movie had so much potential, like everything that happened for the sake of, of terminology, we'll just call it the present and the past. Right. Everything that happened in the past in that movie was pretty great. It was pretty great. Everything that happened in the present of that movie was pretty god-awful. Yeah. yeah. If they had done that movie, because they wanted it to be a franchise, if they had done that movie all in the past, like just set it as the period piece, yes. Assassin's Creed, did nothing, made no references to the, the, the other stuff, whatever, and then at the end of the movie... Like, not post-credit, but just before the main credits roll. If at the end of the movie, they've, they've defeated the bad guy, they've been triumphant, all of a sudden, zzz, like he has a bit of, like, a glitch. Where all of a sudden he has a quick vision of what the future is, and then they leave it at that. You would have had the entire audience going, Ah, there it is! And it would have set up the franchise. Anyway, I don't want
1: to go in that's, that. that's actually a great idea. Oh, Too bad they that. didn't done that. Because, you know, like you said, the past is what's interesting. The future, we've seen variations of that future a million
0: times.
2: That's what makes the gameplay so fun is when you start to have those glitches and you're like, no, but I'm so involved in this moment right now. uh,
0: And by the way, guys, just for the record, because I do see the live chat going on, just for the record, I am Team Jacob. All right, (laughs) question is for you guys. What do you think about this? Do you think that the video game adaptations could suffer the same fate as YA? Do you see them like we do as being different enough to kind of have its own separate challenges? Whatever you guys think... Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, we're going to go on to our main topics here. But before we do, we're going to take a quick second and thank a couple of the sponsors of our show, Helix and our friends at ExpressVPN. Guys, we want to take a second and thank the sponsor of this video, helix sleep guys let me tell you just a couple of days ago ann and i received our helix mattress and it is the best mattress we have ever slept on in our entire lives we had like this three thousand dollar specialized mattress that we got like five six years ago and we liked it very much but this one completely outdoes it it's night and day and you can get matched with your perfect mattress too. See, Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just like a minute to complete, and it matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way that you sleep. I hopped online, took the Helix quiz, and Anne and I were matched with the perfect mattress for us. And it is so easy to set up. Simply take it out of the box, get it positioned on your mattress, Take off the plastic and then give it an hour or two to breathe to reach its full size and you will not believe how comfortable this thing is. All you gotta do is go to helixsleep.com campia. Take their 60-second sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. And it's risk-free. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans, so a great night's sleep is never far away. And here's the best part. Helix is offering up to $200 off of all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com. .com slash campia. We want to thank one of the sponsors of this video, ExpressVPN. Guys, you ever hear of data brokers? They're the middlemen collecting and selling all those digital footprints you leave online. They can stitch together detailed profiles which include your browsing history, online searches and location data. They then sell your profile off to a company who delivers you a targeted ad. No biggie, right? Well, you might be surprised to learn that these same data brokers are also selling your information to government agencies like the Department of Homeland Security and the IRS. you don't want the tax man showing up your door because of some search you did on your phone. So mask your digital footprints and protect yourself with ExpressVPN. One of the easiest ways for brokers to aggregate data and tie it back to you is through your device's unique IP address, which also reveals information about your location. When you're connected to ExpressVPN, your IP address is hidden. That makes it much more difficult for data brokers to identify who you are. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of network traffic to keep your data safe from hackers, on public Public Wi-Fi. So make sure your online activity and data is protected with the best VPN money can buy. Visit ExpressVPN.com/Campia right now and get three extra months free through my special link. That's ExpressVPN.com/Campia. And thank you to our friends at uh, ExpressVPN and Helix, the best night's sleep I've ever had, for being sponsors of the John Campy Show. Never mind. Uh, Hey, guys, don't forget, when you support our sponsors, you're actually supporting us. So if you go down into the description of this video, you'll see links to all of our sponsors and their promo codes. And again, thank you to ExpressVPN and Helix. All right, guys. With that down, let's get into our main topics here today, shall we? And how do we select our main topics? Well, that's simple. You guys come up with our main topics. See, whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you guys feel we need to cover as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampiashow.com contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here
2: on the John Campius Show. With that down, Chris, what is our first main topic today? Our first topic comes from the good French-Canadian kid. (laughs) Hello, everyone. I just read online that Illumination is planning on adapting the Legend of Zelda series into an animated film. As a big Zelda fan, what do you think are the chances of this report being true, and which game do you think they should adapt as a first feature film? Merci.
0: Ah, Merci beaucoup, mon ami. Um, Yeah, I... Listen... Number one, this is not a verified thing. Uh, We got to put that out there right now. This needs to be filed under the category of rumor. It is coming from a place that is sometimes right, sometimes wrong, right? But that being said, the rumor of a Legend of Zelda game, I think, carries some weight to it. And I'll, I'll give you a couple of reasons why I think it actually has a legitimate possibility of being true all right and it very well may not be okay we're not representing here that we know that it's true we don't this is very well could be bs but there are a couple of things that do weigh in its favor thing number one is that as is pointed out in the story illumination is currently doing another nintendo property they got the mario brothers movie coming out and not only are they doing that movie, you have Universal Studios, which is opening its Super Nintendo Land. It's Mario Brothers Land at Universal here in Hollywood, which we're going to its preview night. Very, very excited about this. We wait, cannot wait. Which night are you going? Uh, Anne knows. She's got the she's got the schedule. Okay,
2: I'm going on the 31st.
0: Yeah. Anne was Anne was like, for a year. She's been like, our life is about getting to that date. Like whenever that was. So we got that opening. So the partnership here. Between Universal, Illumination, Nintendo is apparent. Nintendo, for the longest time, after the debacle of the original Super Mario Brothers movie, right. years and years and years ago, had always <laughs> resisted, and resisted strongly, trying to have their property adapted to movies. They are clearly now doing that. And this Mario Brothers movie looks delightful. Looks really, really good. So, all that sets the stage of Illumination doing a... A link movie or or even a, a live action movie coming from it at some point who knows seems fairly feasible. The second reason why and you got to, the reason I put it this in this order is because you got to build on the the foundation of that first reason that hey, there's already a partnership there. The second reason I think this becomes fairly reasonable to believe is the fact that listen, there are some people who think Breath of the Wild is the greatest video game ever made. I mean, I, I, I there's just a lot of people that absolutely. I remember when actually Jeremy Johns still lived here in town. I would go over and hang out at his place, and he would always, always be playing Breath of the Wild. I mean, every time I went over there, he was playing Breath of the Wild. That was it, and he was freaked out. Or and there again, easily probably the greatest game on Nintendo, that or Mario Kart. But there are some people who actually believe it's like the best game ever made. On top of that, we've got its sequel coming out. Was it, Tears of the Kingdom? I think, it's called, I think it's called Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom or Kingdom Tears or whatever, something like that.
2: Tears of the Kingdom, yeah.
0: Tears of the Kingdom. That's coming out, and that's the sequel, the immediate sequel and follow-up. It is the continuation of Breath of the Wild. So that's going to be here. So would it be really all that crazy to think that on the heels, because that's coming in a couple of months, of that movie coming out or of that game coming out with the Super Mario Brothers movie releasing to say this is a great time for us to announce that a Link movie is coming. The Legend of Zelda movie is coming. Again, I think you have to take this with a massive grain of salt. Do not go running around telling people, did you hear that they're making a legend? Don't go doing that. But there are rumors. I think there's some logical things here that would make it reasonable to take it at least a little bit seriously. So, And it's time. It's time. People have been waiting for this to happen. Now, I get it. They made that animated show was me, princess. Yeah, back in the day, what was that in the nineties? Eighty nine. Eighty mm-hmm. nine. They made that little that's awful bad. animated show back in the day. Granted, it part but, of the
3: uh, Super Mario Brothers uh, show was that was part of it. Yeah, because so, it, it was like a that was a live action where it was a stupid sitcom, and then it would cut to Mario Brothers cartoon, and they were in that world. And then on Fridays, it would be the Zelda with the Mario Brothers show.
0: Oh, that's how they did it. Oh my it God, that was that. But people waiting for Link to come into a movie. So. I'd give this a 50-50 chance. I'd give it a solid coin toss of a chance. It's true. Anyway, Chris, you hear about this. Number one, what do you think about the believability of the report? And do you think people would respond to a Legend of Zelda movie?
2: I mean, I feel like Illumination is definitely thinking about doing this. I know that Mario is obviously a very, very beloved bit of IP, but I do think it's kind of testing the waters of hey, can we nail the aesthetic? Can we get people on board if we make some changes to something beloved? And then play with something that has some really, really great storytelling behind it too. Because you look at, you know, Ocarina of Time as well. Majora's Mask. There is a fabulous fan-made trailer um, by Ember Labs that came out in like 2016. Highly recommend y'all check it out. And it shows how cinematic this can be. I think it would make a lot of sense for them to do this. The issue I have then We all freaked out, and I include myself in this because I'm one of those people, when we heard Mario's voice, and it wasn't exactly what we wanted. Link does not speak. Link is just there so that you, as the player, feel very, very invested in the game. You can kind of relate to it more where you just hear some like exertion noises and things like that. You don't hear any actual dialogue from him. So how is that voice going to work for people? And are people going to freak out about that as well? So they definitely have some hurdles. I think. It's me. me.
0: Cat Williams. Cat Williams is the voice of Link. I think <laughs> I, Kat, oh, Kat Williams. Kat Williams Kat that's it.
2: It'd be great. But I, I think that this is something they're definitely, definitely going to do. And Breath of the Wild is one of the best games. You can play it however you want. I like to play it like it's Cooking Mama with horses. But there's some really beautiful storytelling in there, too. You can do a lot.
0: Rob? Chances you think this could be real, <laughs> could and would this be a good idea for
1: them uh, to do? I think in both cases, yes. I think absolutely it probably could be real because, look, the Super the Super Mario Brothers movie, as we pointed out on multiple occasions, looks like these people are seriously invested in the Mario lore, going all the way back to Donkey Kong. So I would assume that everybody at Illumination, who probably some of them became animators or whatever because of these games... Like Ocarina of Time, and uh, it, it, these are these are classic. I mean, if you're a child of the '80s and the '90s and the aughts, these are important video games, and these are games that you know you you could pick up when you were younger and play them, and they they the franchises grew with you, or at least for for a time. And I think that I I, I this is no brainer to me. Now, whether they've pulled the trigger because making these kinds of movies is enormously expensive. But it seems to me like this is the next logical thing to do. I mean, what what Nintendo... Well, I think what these companies want to do is they see themselves as the new Pixar, but instead of creating new IPs with animated films, they already have those IPs with their video games, and they're trying to translate them into another medium, whereas, you know, there have been video games derived from Pixar movies, cars, all kinds of stuff. So it's to me, it's a no-brainer. I... I would not be surprised if we hear this announcement soon after the Mario brothers movies an an enormous hit,
0: by the way, uh, some great, great suggestions because because you bring up a great point. One of the big challenges they're going to have, because I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear from any purists of the game going, link shouldn't speak in it. Yeah. Yeah, This is a narrative story. The characters gonna need to speak. I'm, I'm seeing some really interesting suggestions in the live chat from people suggesting what should, what should be the voice of Mario. I'm hearing people saying, uh, Morgan Freeman, uh Morgan Freeman is the voice of Link. Uh uh Austin Butler doing his Elvis voice as Link. But I had one just pop this. into my head that I now this is all I'm gonna hear. Uh Jonathan, do you want to bring up my screen? Oh right. Water. No. Mm, yes, the triforce. <laughs> yes. Mm, that's that's all I can hear now. I will accept nothing else. This has to be the voice of Link. Shatner is the voice of Link. Come on. <laughs> Or William Shatner,
3: Give the me voice
2: the tri- of tripe. Listen, the Ganondorf, uh, I think we can come to a... <laughs> this It doesn't make any sense. Uh, was a deal
3: with the trifle? Oh, now we're signing
2: There up. we go. That's the one. We found it. Seinfeld
0: doing the voice of Link. All right. Guys, questions, questions for you. What do you think about this? Do you think there could be some legitimacy to this report? But But put that aside for a second. If it was... Would you be excited about a link movie? Do you agree with us that y- you got to give him a voice he's got to be able to speak? or do you more of a purist thing, No, 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 they shouldn't speak. I don't know. Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Mm, yes. All right. That down. Let's move on to main topic. number two, shall we? Chris,
2: What is our second main topic today? Our second topic comes from Gerald Udme. Hey, John, I'm a huge fan of the first Black Panther movie and thought it should have won Best Picture at the Oscars that year. was really excited for Wakanda Forever, and I liked it, but not nearly as much as the first. Just heard Letitia Wright say the third film is already being worked on. Are you surprised they're already moving on to the next film? When do you think they could be aiming to have it come out, and should they even do a third one? Thanks.
0: All right, Gerald, thanks a lot for saying that in. And yeah, of course, you know, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever came out. I, I think it ended its I mean it's still in some theaters but it's, it's going to end around the 200 or sorry the 820 to 830 million dollar range. Of course a far cry from the 1.4 or 5 that the first Black Panther made, but of course this was a film without its lead star and without its lead character and no film in cinematic history has ever not fallen significantly when that has happened. It's basically a brand new franchise. So it's, but at the end of the day it did well, made money for them. There's a lot of people, I'll tell you what, Dwayne Johnson would love to say that Black Ed made $820 million. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of filmmakers that would love to have their filmmaking. And so at the end of the day, it did that. And it's kind of, they were starting from square one. They were building from scratch. So here's what happened. Letitia Wright was at the Golden Globes and she was asked about Black Panther 3. And this is what she had to say. This came to us from the folks at Variety said this. Black Panther Wakanda Forever star Letitia Wright spoke to to Variety during the official digital pre-show at the Golden Globes and discussed the anticipated third chapter of the Black Panther saga. Wright spoke with Variety chief correspondent Elizabeth Wegmeister, who that sounds like a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer villain. I don't know why. She's Mrs. Wegmeister. Anyway, (laughs) who asked, when are we going to get Black Panther three greenlit? And then Leticia Wright said this, I think it's already in the works, Wright replied. You know, we just had a terrific two years of bringing it out and everybody coming together to support it. We need a little bit of a break. We need to regroup and Ryan Coogler uh, needs to get back into the lab. So it's going to take a little while, but we're really excited for you guys to see that. And that again comes to us from Variety. All right. Am I at all surprised that they would be working on a third one? Absolutely not. You've got one of the best directors out there today, one of the most exciting directors in Ryan Coogler. Um, you've clearly got, even though the movie lost its main star and its lead character, Black Panther, it still made over $800 million at the box office. You were pretty much starting from square one and that's not a bad place to start from. Of course they're going to do. This is, is too pivotal to the MCU now. Absolutely they are. Now, I'm not going to pretend though that I don't have some apprehensions, Right. The the one big everybody knows this, the one big strategic choice that Ryan Coogler made in this movie that I did not like was who succeeds Chadwick Boseman and who succeeds T'Challa as Black Panther. I literally thought anybody else in the MCU would have been a better choice than um uh why am I freezing? Shuri, Shuri than Shuri. Shuri, who as a character in nerves I've said this for years, Shuri is one of my favorite characters in the mcu but i, I still believe it was completely an idiotic choice to make Shuri. i mean when you've got nakia there nakia is the logical choice to be the next black panther when you have mbaku there mbaku becomes a much more natural choice even okoye when you have okoye there okoye is a much more makes a lot more sense to be the new black panther but whatever that aside so that left me a little bit whatever but listen yeah they should be moving i don't I don't think I see a new Black Panther, though, coming out. And this is going to be up for debate. I don't think I see a new Black Panther movie coming out before Secret Wars. I actually think that whatever Ryan Coogler is working on now, I think it'll be something. And I could be wrong about this. I've had nobody tell me this from any studio. I just have a feeling that it'll be something that will come post- uh, Secret Wars so we're looking 2026 2027 uh, that's my initial thought at any rate anyway Rob you hear Letitia Wright's comments does it make sense to you that they're already kind of developing the third one when do you think such a film could happen should they do such a film how do you see it
1: well one, I think absolutely because Wakanda is a pivotal pivotal place in the MCU you know it's the most technologically advanced theoretically well you know Talokan, but on earth it's kind of become an epicenter of what's going on with its, with its vibranium and everything. Absolutely. Have, they have to do, I mean, think about it, John, those two movies together, average out at a billion each. That's a franchise. That's any studio would be happy to have. So I think absolutely. And I think what's really interesting is they can deal with geopolitical issues in black Panther movies that might not fit anywhere else in the MCU. So they can right. do some interesting things. I thought, I really did like the emergence of Talekan and Namor and how these two nations dealt with each other. I thought it was interesting. Um, so for sure, it doesn't surprise me one bit that they would make more movies. But like you, I don't see it happening before twenty twenty six. They're gonna they're gonna, whatever it's gonna it'll happen afterwards, I would think. Or or if Secret Wars has been pushed, maybe between the two, mm. sometime after Kang Dynasty, but before Secret Wars, but I think absolutely we're going to get
0: another Black Panther movie. Chris, what do you think of all this?
2: I mean, if it still is correct, this is what, the sixth highest grossing film of this year? Or of this past year? Like, it brought in under $900 which is nothing to sneeze at, so it makes sense they would move forward with this. We also, I mean, spoiler alert, we set it up that T'Challa had a kid! What? (laughs) Of course there's going to be more story here. You know, he's part of the Avengers, he's part of this phase of Marvel and everything. This story needs to continue. Saying that they're working on it, though, that is such a nebulous statement, right? Mm -hmm. That's such a gray area because I can tell you I'm working on a multitude of things. It's like the word fixin' that we use in Texas, right? I'm fixin' to do that. That is outside of space and time. That (laughs) means I am maybe going to possibly do something at some point when I feel like it. So they are fixin' to do a Black Panther 3. They just have to come up with a story. They have to come up with a cast. They have to go through all of that pre-production stuff. But hey, they're working on it.
0: All right, guys. Question is for you. Leticia Wright is saying they're already working on Black Panther 3. Do you think they should move forward with it? If so, where do you think it fits into the MCU? Does it come fairly quickly? Do they wait until after the fifth Avengers film? Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. Chris. What is our third main topic today our third topic sorry
2: everyone was like you spoiled that in the chat it came out in november, yeah, out in november. Uh, <laughs> i yelled spoiler first i did a little better than rob our third topic uh steve Calderon writes hi john i know you don't care about the golden globes but do you have any thoughts on the banshees in a sharon winning best picture comedy over everything everywhere all at once while the Men's takes home best picture drama over the two highest grossing films of 2022 top gun maverick and avatar the way of water
0: All right, Steve, thanks a lot for saying that in. And yeah, as we alluded to a little bit earlier, last night was the Golden Globes. Uh, A Completely useless, pointless. uh, First of all, the, the, the Hollywood foreign press itself, I've never heard a justification for its existence, but whatever. It is, I acknowledge, it is a significant player in the awards season around the industry. It absolutely is. Whether I like it or not, it is. And so... We have to at least pay a little bit of attention to what were the results. Now, I will say this. If you can find a silver lining in all of the controversy that has surrounded the Hollywood foreign press and the Golden Globes the last couple of years, the silver lining would be it maybe has forced them to act a little bit more legitimately. Um, and with that being said, this is me trying to give credit words due. all right? With that being said, this year's lineup of their nominees and all that kind of stuff seemed—I didn't see any in there that was like, like remember when Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie had what was it? The Tourist was that? Remember they nominated that awful, god terrible movie, and they nominated it was. Listen, the Golden Globes all Not the time would star. nominate certain things so they could get certain stars at their awards. That's what they did. <laughs> this isn't like the Academy that has 7,000 professional voting members. This is a group of 70 people uh, who just trying to throw a party, right? I didn't see any of that this year. And when you went through the nominees list, there was nothing that stood out to me as being egregious. And usually there are. So it looks like maybe they really are trying to get their act in, in gear. Again, I still don't care about them, but I'm going to give credit words to. With that being said, the awards last night were—I gotta say—I'm pretty in line with a lot of them. Let's get into the results of the Golden Globes. Here, we're going to talk about one in particular a little bit later, but we go to first the big one. What they is really to them is their big one: the Best Motion Picture Drama. The nominees were Avatar, The Way of Water, Elvis, Tar, Top Gun: Maverick. But I believe the film that should have won, Fableins. Actually won. Um, it was, it for those of you who saw our top picks of 2022, uh, obviously you didn't see Chris's, but for those no of you did. who saw our top no one did. films of 2022, um, Fablemans was my number one film of the year. Fablemans took home the winner. I love the choice. We go on to, uh, well, they do this. Oh yeah, well, they do it a little bit out of order. So let's go now into best performance by an actress in a motion picture drama. Kate Blanchett won. I have. I absolutely agree. I too. I completely agree. Some excellent, excellent nominees: Olivia Coleman, Viola Davis, Anna De Armas, Michelle Williams. Also for the Fablemans. But I, I didn't have a lot of doubt that uh, Kate Blanchett should win and would win, and, and she did. And I think she's the odds-on favorite for the Oscar as well. Best performance by an actor in a motion picture. Austin Butler. Now listen, I've got no complaints. He was fabulous. In Elvis. Absolutely fabulous. There are some people who kind of think that maybe Brendan Fraser did not win because, again, a lot of the controversy surrounding the Hall of Foreign Press has a lot to do with Brendan Fraser. And Brendan Fraser was very vocal about, F you, I ain't going to this thing. And did that have something to do with why he lost? Well, he did get the nomination anyway. Yeah. And they nominated him knowing he would never show up. And by the way, to say that the only reason Austin Butler won was because Brendan Fraser didn't show up. That's taken away from a hell of a performance that Austin Butler gave. Agreed. So, so Austin Butler won for best actor in a motion picture drama. Now, best motion picture, musical, or comedy. I still think it's idiotic that they have this separation. But that being said, Banshees of Inishirin, uh wins for best picture, musical, or comedy. And again, well, Everything Ever All Once was my number two film. I have no qualms with this thing winning that
3: award. Wasn't it the the Martians-like category? The Martian was put under musical comedy <laughs> as well. A joke. <laughs> that is a comedy.
0: Don't you remember? There was that scene where there was a joke. It's a comedy. Anyway, I can, listen, I don't really call the Banshees of Inisherin a comedy, even though it is labeled as such, but I can see why many would consider it a comedy. So I have no problems with it being in this. A dark. Satire. it is a dark satire a dark comedy if you will but babylon everything ever all at once glass onion knives out mystery and triangle sadness were the other nominees Bandages of finisher wins and i've got no problems with that winner i i and i think it's going to be a serious serious player for best picture come the academy awards all right best performance by an actress in a motion picture musical or comedy goes to michelle yo uh, again, I'm right in line with this selection. A- Emma Thompson uh, was also nominated. Anya Taylor-Joy for The Menu. Margot Robbie for Babylon. Uh, Leslie Mansville for Miss Harris Goes to Paris, which, by the way, finally got around to watching that. That was a delightful little movie. That was a delightful little movie. Anyway, so again, no problems with Michelle Yeoh. I think this is setting up, by the way. I think we just got our look at our two Oscar frontrunners. I think, I think the Oscar is going to come down to Cape Blanchett or Michelle Yeoh. I think it'll go to Cape Blanchett. But I think it's going to come down to these two. By the way, Michelle Yeoh threatening to literally beat the crap out of people at the Golden Globes if they try to music her off the stage. I think it was one of the greatest moments ever oh, at the yeah. Golden Globes. All right. she's great. Best performance by an actor uh, in, a mu- in a motion picture, musical, or comedy. Again, I think they got it right. Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Inishirin. Great speech, too. And and uh, where he called it Anadarmus as well, and all that kind of beautiful speech. Uh, Ray Fiennes for the menu. I mean, I would also love it if he won. But uh, Adam Driver for White Noise. Daniel Craig. Uh, uh, Diego uh, Calva for Babylon. Colin Farrell. Uh, again, I have no qualms with this pick. I, I think you're. I think he's got to be considered the front runner going into the Oscars. Uh, best motion Picture Animated. No real surprise. It went to Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I would have given it to Turning Red, but I can understand why I went to that. Um, yeah, so then we get down into Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role in Any Motion Picture. This is one of the things that the Golden Globes has to clean up. We go to my shot on this, Jonathan. This is one of the things that the Golden Globes has to clean up. Why do you have Best Motion Picture Drama and then Best Motion Picture Musical or Comedy? And then you'll have then best actor drama, best actor, motion picture, uh, musical or comedy, best actress drama, best actress, motion picture or musical or comedy. But then only have one supporting, just supporting actor or actress in any movie. Like either get away, get, get away from the musical or comedy subset or split up as well. Anyway, for best actress in a supporting role in any motion picture, Angela Bassett, Black Panther, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. Uh, best performance by an actor in a supporting role in any motion picture quan comedy. Kihu Kwan uh, takes it. We can go back to my screen here now, Jonathan. Kihu Kwan uh, takes it, wins the award, which I am tickled. I'm absolutely tickled. Of course, he was up against Barry Keegan, Brennan Gleeson, who I actually think has the inside track to win it at the Oscars. I think it's going to be Brennan Gleeson. But Eddie Redmayne, some heavy, heavy, heavyweight stuff. And Kiyu Kwan. And I I watched his acceptance speech on YouTube afterwards. It's delightful. It was beautiful. It was great. It was so good. Um, Then, of course, we get into some of the other major ones. Best Director went to Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans. I think he's your hands-on favorite to win the Oscar as Mm -hmm. well. Again, I thought it was the best film of the year. Best screenplay went to Martin McDonough for Banshees of Inner Sheeran. By the way, I think this is all pretty much setting up the showdown of the two major players at the Oscars are going to be the Fablemans and it's going to be Banshees of Inner Sheeran. I think those are going to be the two films that are probably going to fight it out for best picture. And the fact that one won for best comedy and musical, one won for best drama, one won the best director award, one won the best screenplay award. I think it's uh, going to come down to a lot of stuff. So anyway... Aside from the Angela Bassett thing, which we will talk about here in a second, Rob, you look at this list. Uh, what are the things that really stand out to you?
1: Well, that, that this was pretty legit. And, you know, a lot of the complaints that they'd made about the Hollywood Foreign Press, I thought there was, for the first time, I mean, there was a lot of diversity in the winners. And I, there was a lot of, I mean, some people said Michelle Yeoh's speech was smug. And I'm like, no. I, I, she was I, out I, there kicking ass. I yeah. loved her speech. And I'm like, she wasn't wrong. You know, and listening to her talk, pe- people forget though. Like, I mean, she was a Bond girl twenty six years ago, and tomorrow never dies. I mean, and then before that, she had a martial arts career since the eighties. I mean, she's got incredible. Just because we have s- are sort of new to her party, I thought her speech was great. But even and- in
0: North America, she was re- all the way back to Crouching Tiger. She was of really intro- introduced. Yeah, to and us people forget, yeah.
1: and it's it's like she's had such a long career. And I, I think that all of these winners. I was really happy with all. of them. I thought they were well deserved. They didn't have any BS, like you said. You brought up the that Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, the,
0: the Johnny sir, Depp, Johnny Depp, The yeah. Tourist,
1: or whatever. That was there was none of that. This was all. It seemed like very legit. They were honoring the best work of the year, and I thought that they spread no no one really swept. They spread the awards around. It was not it was not unexpected, but still, I really thought they did a good job this year with with. I mean, in terms of the awards given, they legitimize themselves. I would be interested in coming back next year and watching.
0: Well, it'll be interesting to see how they evolve and yeah. continue to evolve. Personally, I think they need a much broader voting base. Yes. You can't be well, taken seriously as a 70-member thing. Yeah. When the Oscars have like 7,000 film industry professionals, you got to have a broader voting base. But at any rate, Chris, hey, listen, again, I'm going through this. I don't see any major surprises, nor do I have any issues with any of these. I think they got it all pretty much right. But yeah. were there any things, I mean, other than the obvious and inexcusable Morbius snub, <laughs> uh, I mean, other than that... Uh, I mean, what stands out to you in this? I,
2: I still was a little, oh, they should have had Bell part of the animated uh, nominations. Mm, yeah. But that had such a weird release schedule. It was released overseas in 2021, 20, uh, and then it came to the States in 2022, so I understand that one. But for the most part, I thought everything was pretty in line with what I thought was going to happen as well. I was a little surprised about Brendan, uh, Brendan Fraser not taking this home. But Colin Farrell is amazing. He's so so good in Banshees and and he's had such a good year too. I mean or I guess since 2021 you know, he's had such a great time. You know, The Batman his work as the Penguin, he had that other indie film come out that I can't the remember Android the with yes. with the Android. Yeah, it was yes, yeah. yes. yeah. fabulous. I mean, he's been doing incredible incredible work um and so it was really lovely to see him win and again give such a wonderful speech, really just thanking all of his, you know, collaborators, talking to Anna DeArmas, I thought everything was pretty spot on. And to your point too, Yes, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association has made some moves to be better, but there is so much room for improvement here. 70 people, 70 people are determining this. That's why people think this awards show is a joke, because there's always been this long-standing theory, whether you know it has any weight, you know, I'm not going to chime in on that, of that you can buy a Golden Globe, basically. And and I think that we need to do some real work to make sure that this is an incredibly diverse panel of people that has much more than 70 people determining who the best this or that is. So I think there's a lot of room to change, but I think also this was a really, really refreshing Golden Globes.
0: All right. Uh, Ray is still livid about Moonfall Snub. Uh, I mean, yeah. he is still very, very upset Roland about him he, directing. Yeah, <laughs> he he's in Ron them getting snubbed for best. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What did you think about the results coming out of the Golden Globes? Do you think they represent what could be a little bit of a precursor to what we're going to see in the big ones? The Oscars nominations are coming out soon for the Academy Awards, by the way. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down... Let's move on to main topic number four, shall we?
2: Chris, what is our fourth main topic today? Also, my apologies, Colin Farrell lost to uh, Austin Butler. Yeah, Austin
0: Butler in the other category. My bad, my
2: bad. I lumped them all together like the Oscars. Jennifer C. says, hi, everyone. John, I know you don't really care about the Golden Globes, but something pretty historic happened Wait. at the ceremony. Oh yeah, there we are, okay. Uh, something pretty historic happened at the ceremony last night that I thought you should talk about. Angela Bassett won Best Supporting Actress for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, which makes her the first actor ever to win one of the major acting awards for a Marvel movie. DC had Heath and Phoenix, but this is the first one for Marvel. How important do you think this is? Thanks.
0: All right, thanks a lot for saying that in. And you know what? You would. It was interesting because in the lead up to award season, a lot of us have talked about Angela Bassett should be a frontrunner, Angela Angela, because despite the fact that I did not love Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, I liked it, but I, I didn't love it angela bassett like every moment whether she's addressing the u.n or addressing her own people or whatever she brought a regalness oh yeah to that thing right like every and when a performer can do that like you elevate whatever you're in and angela bassett elevated that movie and that's why we've been talking for so long about how she's got to be considered a front runner for the academy awards so we go into the golden globes and she wins this and despite the fact that you're right i don't have a lot of love in my heart for the golden globes the reality is sag golden globes academy awards those are considered to be the major the main acting whether it should be or not is up for debate but it is those are the considered the main acting awards those are the three that actors want to win the most and while we have had heath ledger win an academy award and and others for his role as joker deservedly so A lot of people saying, ah, he only won it because he died. No, 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 no. He was going to win that. Come on. He was going to win that award anyway. Yeah. Then, of course, we had Joaquin Phoenix the other year win the big awards for playing Joker. Despite the fact that Marvelous had some of the all-time great actors in history. We talked about the other day, Anthony Hopkins, Sir Ben Kingsley, uh, Robert Redford. I mean, on and on and on. Who's who, what's going on. Never has this expansive MCU, which did have a Best Picture nomination. Sure but never has anybody in a Marvel Cinematic Universe film won one of the major acting awards until now. Angela Bassett takes home best supporting actress in any motion picture. It wasn't just musical or comedy or drama. She took that home. And I think she has to be considered the front runner going into the Academy Awards as well. And I will tell you what, I think this is an incredibly significant thing because, you know, Rob, you and I have talked about this a lot over the years. Like I, I believe there was an era, obviously, when awards bodies like the Oscars, the Golden Globes, or even SAG, kind of looked at comic book films as second-class citizens. I believe that's changed over the years. And I think seeing things like Joaquin Phoenix winning or Black Panther being nominated or Logan being nominated for Best Screenplay or whatever, and now we have Angela Bassett, I feel like those pre-existing prejudices about, against comic book films are like, hey, that's gone now. Angela Bassett gave the best performance by a supporting actress this year. She wins. And I think this is also very significant for Marvel moving forward. This is their first big win for something like this. I think this is going to be... I think this was... I don't think Kevin Feige is going to say it publicly, but I think this is very important for Kevin Feige. I think he takes this as a huge badge of legitimacy of what Kevin Feige has almost single-handedly evolved the comic book genre into... And yeah, as far as significance, I think it's huge. Rob, you've also been calling. She's going to win Best Supporting Actress. She did here at the Golden Globes, probably a front row in the office. How significant do you think this is? I think it's
1: significant in a lot of respects. I mean, obviously, it's not just box office um, success that comic book movies have, have had, but, but both Black Panther movies have some very interesting things to say about non-comic book topics. You know, like colonization, and this Wakanda Forever had a lot of really interesting stuff going on politically about these two emerging nations. And let's face it, Angela Bassett was playing a grieving mother. Now you can take that away and be like, "Oh, it's just a comic book movie." But if you were to strip away the comic book nature of this film and 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 take it out of the Marvel milieu and told the same story, I think it would be powerful. I think it would be emotional, and I think that just because she's in a comic book movie does not render the work that she was doing the powerful work the emotional work that she was doing if it wasn't a comic book film she would have been bringing that same intensity so she didn't phone in her performance this performance was I called it once ferocious I mean she is she is incredible in this movie and and probably her performances maybe even transcends what the movie itself is. It's she's so good in it, and why not? And I loved her seeing uh, get her, her getting up on stage and saying, "You know, I think the last time I was here was in 1994 with what's got Lo- well, what's love got, got to do with she played Tina Turner. So, yeah. so she's never phoned in a performance. I mean, she's for the last more than 25 years has been kicking ass and taking names. You know, and isn't it ironic that with all she already won. Uh, an oscar and it took her being in a marvel movie to get recognition i think this has a lot to say about marvel movies and their casts and it's all good
0: chris uh again like angela bassett wins not a big surprise but we are reminded this is the first time in we're coming up on 30 30 mcu films with some of the Biggest stars of today and of all time that have been there. This is the first major acting award for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Was it the right win? How significant is this for Marvel itself? How do you see it?
2: I mean, she's incredible in this film. She really, really carries it. She has all the heavy lifting in this, in my opinion. And I think it's such a beautiful performance. Um, and, and I would love if she wins an Oscar for it. I think that'd be fantastic. I'm really, really excited for her. I'm sure she's going to get a SAG award. Um, I think this goes back to what something that we talk about on the show all the time is that genre doesn't determine merit. It does not. You know, a comic book movie can move you just like how a sci-fi film can move you. It's about great storytelling. It doesn't matter what kind of vessel they do for it. Guillermo del Toro talked about this when he accepted his award for Pinocchio. A medium also doesn't determine the merit of something. Animation can tell beautiful storytelling. Pinocchio is not for kids. I'm so glad he mentioned that so much last night because I can't imagine how many families sat down to that and were like, oh, no, we're opening with Nazis? (laughs) Intense. But... Doing, having her win this and having people like Heath Ledger, having Joaquin Phoenix win awards for acting and playing roles so truthfully, so raw, so real that just happened to come from the pages of comic books initially goes to show you that one great storytelling is everywhere all around you and it just needs a deft hand. And that's what they did here. And
0: by the way, just just a quick fact check. So while Angela Bassett did win, I believe, a Golden Globe for What's Love Got to Do It, she did not win the Oscar. Oscar. She was nominated for for the Oscar for that, but she didn't win that. But guess what? That looks like that's going to get corrected here in a couple Mm -hmm. of months, too, heading into that. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about this? Angela Bassett takes home the uh, Golden Globe, one of the major acting awards for Black Panther, con Forever, but it marks the first time that an MCU actor has won one of the major acting awards. How significant is that? Maybe you think there's no significance to it. Whatever you guys are thinking, jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With all that down, we're now going to move on and start taking questions from our channel members here on the channel. Uh, the post is now there in the community tab. You can fire those in. Some of you sent in your month anniversary questions as well. We'll get to those in just a second. But before we do, we want to take another moment and thank a couple more of the sponsors of the John Campus Show here today, our friends at DraftKings and Ryan Reynolds' own Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to thank one of the sponsors of this video, DraftKings. Guys, the NFL playoff picture is now locked in, and your go to place for wild card round action is DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. So, to kick off the road to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can get a no sweat bet. Each day of the Wild Card round this weekend. Just place any NFL bet of your choice and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Action so good, why bet NFL playoffs anywhere else? And if it were me, I wouldn't be betting against the Bills or the Bengals right now. So guys, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the code Campia C A M P E A. New customers can bet five dollars on the NFL and get two hundred and free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the code Campia. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Guys, we want to thank a sponsor of this video. Mint Mobile. If saving more and spending less is one of your top goals for 2023, why are you still paying insane amounts of money every month for your phone bill? Switching to Mint Mobile is the easiest way to save money this year. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton, with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. Guys, I have told you before that when I was on one of the major phone carriers, I was spending literally three times as much every month and switching to Mint Mobile couldn't have been easier. So for people just looking to save some extra money this year, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and switch easily in just minutes with eSIM. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at DraftKings and of course my mobile service provider, Mint Mobile, for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. All right, guys, we're going to move in now and take live questions from our members. Now, just to let some people update you guys, we've made a little bit of a change recently where we're going to be taking questions from our members uh, from Monday to Thursday. And then we will take super chats from all of our audience on Fridays. But we have several other shows here on The John Campus Show where we do nothing but take super chats. We have our play in chats, our open mics, our John Campia Ask Me Anything videos. Are when we get started on our after show for last week's on our after show. So plenty and plenty. Weekly and pl- hero. Weekly, weekly hero. hero. Plenty of content that we do where we take super chats from our wider audience. But Monday through Thursdays here on the John Camby Show, we like to narrow it down just to our membership. All right. Anyway, with that being said, what questions do we have
3: coming in from our members? All right. So first up, we have two from yesterday. Uh, the first one is from Jesse Keller, who says uh, Regal Mysteries movie was missing. Yep. And it was so bad. The acting seems so wooden to me and with the script that I was guessing the correct dialogue to before it was spoken. Big oof.
0: Well, I, I've heard differently. I've heard from a number of people that actually really quite liked it. But that's, that's, and I haven't seen it myself yet, but that's the beautiful thing about movies, man. It all hits us in
3: different ways. All right, what's next? All right, next up comes to us from Cash. With the re-release of Titanic in February 10th, uh, that'll move it up the list and pass Endgame. I am excited to see it in theaters since I never have. I assume a lot of others will be there too.
0: Will it pass Endgame? I, I'm not so sure about that. What's yeah. the distance? Let me look at uh, worldwide all time. The difference between those two are Titanic is at 2.1 million, Avengers Endgame is at 2.7. Uh, Titanic is not making $600 million <laughs> no. in its re release. It's not going to make $60 million. It, it's, it'll make some money. It'll make some money, but no, no, no. Don't be under any delusions that titanic is ever going to pass end game it, that's just not going to happen
3: all right what's next all right so now i'm going to go ahead and move on to the ones from today uh let's see first one is from michael gonzalez who says over under 30 percent. ant-man 3 makes 800 million dollars plus at the box office
0: i will go i think 800 million is a reasonable it can't i mean i think anywhere between six and eight hundred is reasonable so the over overrunners at 30 I'll take the over, I wouldn't say 90%, but I'll take over 30% that Ant-Man and the Wasp Yeah, me can, too. Can i take, totally. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Especially if it's Avengers level or Civil War, if it has that, what we don't know yet, if yeah. it's that big or that shattering, I think people will go.
0: Yeah, again, I, I, I wouldn't say 90%, but over, th- yeah, over
3: 30, I'll take that. Yeah. All right, what's next? All right, next up comes to us from Quinn. Odds that Scott Lang dies in Quantumania. 65%.
0: I know there are some people who are saying it's a hundred. Mm. Um, and certainly the trailers kind of make you think he dies, but I'm not so sure about, listen, one of the things that the MCU is suffering from right now, I'll, I'll say it. The MCU has lost its identity. And, and listen, that I don't blame them for that, that coming out of Endgame, where for 13 years, you had a very distinct tone. You had a very distinct identity. You had a very distinct storyline going on and you had major, major characters that were leading the way. You now come out of Endgame and I remember after Endgame, I made a big video talking about how these are the challenges that the Marvel's going to face yeah. over the next couple of years. On top of the, the, their major storyline had ended and they hit that major crescendo, you then lost not one, but both of your leads of the franchise. You lost Chris Evans and you lost Robert Downey Jr. More importantly, you lost Tony Stark and you lost Steve Rogers and black widow. Well, and I mean, there are others as well, but I mean, they were the faces of the franchise, the heart and soul of the franchise, whether you were team cap or team Tony, regardless, those two were the identity yeah. of the MCU and they lost it. And I would Suggests that while there are certain things in MCU phase four that I have adored and loved. They have not reestablished their identity yet. And I think with that being one of their struggles. And they, they've also, like you mentioned, they've also killed off Black Widow and stuff. Like, do you want to lose another one? Now, uh, Ant-Man isn't one of the OGs in the cinematic universe, but he's one of the Oh, God, we feel very comfortable with Paul Rudd. Do you want to kill him off? That's why I'll only say 65%. What do you think, Rob?
1: I don't think there. I think less than that because, like you said, he's really well-liked. And I just think if they killed Paul Rudd, it would leave a bad taste in my mouth. I'm like, you, you can't do that. He's a He just got out of jail. He just rediscovered, connected with his daughter terrible you can't you can't allow poor ant-man to die
2: we can change timelines though yeah this
1: is the marvel fake death that's what i was gonna point out i mean have i killed you before they've set that up do they kill him uh look that is i think that remains to be seen I they think that's all him. part of what happens. What do you the
0: think,
2: Chris? They kill him. And then there's going to be some deal they make to bring him back. Mephisto. And that's going to with Mephisto, Mephisto um, with Madison and the goat. We're, they're going to kill him. And then they're going to do something that makes him come back, but then leaves the Marvel Cinematic Universe worse for wear. And that's going to launch us into the King Dynasty situation.
3: Could all be. right. Spoilers. What's next? <laughs> all right. Next up comes to us from Jay's Gameplays. Uh-huh. What do you think if Logan Lerman were to be cast as the new Superman for DC? Could you see him in that role?
0: Uh, Listen, there's, you could list, there were were about 200 actors that you could list that I would say I could see in that role. All I care about is, are they a good performer? I think Logan Lerman is a very good actor. Uh, And he's come a long way since being, just being Percy Jackson. Yeah. So uh, yeah, he would be. He'd be one of the two hundred that I would be. Yeah, that would be perfectly acceptable if he was cast in
1: that. It all really depends too on the script and the director. Absolutely. And, and how are what, they going to tailor... Who do they
0: want this Superman to be? What's the personality going to be like? Yeah. And and do those aspects play to this actor or to that? Who knows? But again, that's why I say there's probably a good two hundred actors that I'd be perfectly fine with if they cast. All right. What's next?
3: All right. Next up is Mike's Movie Madness. Hey, John and crew. Was wondering if before the official Oscar nominations. You would do prediction videos similar to your top ten videos.
0: Yeah, we probably will do. Because when do the nominations happen? I keep forgetting. When did the Oscar nominations happen? Uh, Does anybody remember?
3: I think in February, early February.
0: Soon. Yeah, I think we will probably do a, a predictions list for our uh, thing. But I think I think all of us are getting a pretty good picture about yeah. what those nominees. But we will probably do that in the coming months. All right. What's next? All right. Uh, next January
3: twenty fourth. January twenty fourth. Oh wow. So
0: maybe in the next couple of weeks we'll do that. Thanks, Ray. Yeah.
3: All right, next up is Wayne Edwards. Good afternoon. I did a triple feature of The Whale, Till, and All Quiet on the Western Front. That's wow. a heavy, heavy yeah. triple header, man. Wow. Uh, great films, in my opinion, but they were all heavy narratives. Lots of emotion.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's... Whew, I don't know that I could watch I those need three better. Why do you that? throw in a little Schindler's List there, too, while you're at it? Just <laughs> wow. just to complete the fun. I mean, that's that's a heavy <laughs> one. But you're right. All great movies. Ah, I didn't think The Whale was great. Yeah. But, but, but a great performance. In that dude,
3: that's some heavy, heavy doing viewing. You need to take a little Rubble. bit of a break now. All right, what's next? All right, this next one is our final one. comes to us from J.G. Trey. Hey, guys, hope you're having a great day. Did anyone watch Bones and all? And what did you think? Uh, Timothy Chalamet is my favorite young actor.
0: I have said it before. I'll say it again. Timothy Chalamet, I believe, has the greatest potential to be the next Daniel Day-Lewis. He's, and the, He's one of the best actors in the world right now. And he's only getting better. I turned off bones and all I, <laughs> I, I, I got a little bit into it. The premise sounds fascinating to me. Was it just too gross? It was insufferably boring. Oh wow! I was bored to death I, and I just walked away from right. it. So I, I, so I can't speak too much to it. Chris, did you get a chance no, to watch it?
2: Taylor was grossed out by it. He was talking to me about just like the sound mixing effects. And I was the like, chewing? Oh, i never watch, watch
3: it. The and yeah. the chewing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. What's next? Uh, now we switch over here.
2: All right, let's get over to uh, the
0: questions you guys have been sending in. What's What do we got here, Chris? From
2: Alex Mata. So the mystery movie was missing. Absolutely loved this movie. Had me on the edge of my seat from beginning to end. The whole audience was gasping, yelling at characters, clapping, cheering, etc. It was a great experience. Can't wait for you guys to see this one. So this is a subjective movie, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, I've heard from, <laughs> like, the, the last few who wrote and said they really didn't like, that's the first negative one I heard. Like, all the ones I've heard about so far yeah, have been me, very, yeah, very good. Me too. Now, again, I haven't seen it. I might hate it, but... <laughs> it's again there he goes the subjectivity of film some people hits in the right way some people it doesn't all right what's next
2: from Enlighten, do you think the oscars will ever include uh, excuse me ever include a category for best voice actor actress would love to see chris with one of her one on her desk one day but then again chris takes home all the awards in my book
0: mm. great chris show is the awards
2: i am the awards you we, know what? we'd have to first establish that they recognize voice actors both the Oscars and both my own union. It'd be really, really cool if the, yeah, SAG the Sags, awards, SAGs themselves don't it'd have it. would be really this. awesome as a dues paying member if SAG AFTRA gave some uh, voice actors awards, especially since during the pandemic, we were the ones who were still working and everyone tried to bandwagon onto our type yeah. of work. Just throwing that out there.
0: I, let's put it this way I think there's a lot more of a legitimate claim for them to do voice acting categories and, and more likelihood than, say, something like, a lot of people ask for, which is like stunt work. Uh, And I, I, I don't mean to hijack the topic, but like the problem with stunt work is that the voting members have no idea what they're voting on. Like you, you don't know what, what was a stunt? What was not like, they would literally have to be there with best screenplay. They can have the screenplay with best costumes. They can absolutely look at the costume, see the design screenplay or for stunt work. And there are bodies that honor stunt work and they should, but like the, the Academy members would have no idea what it is they're voting on it. But so voice acting, not in the next 10 years, but eventually I, I think would they hope should. So. I don't know. Rob, what do you think?
1: Well, I think for, with voice acting, I think it's a little bit harder because, you know, the idea of acting comes from the stage and you create a character for two hours and you immerse yourself in that. Whereas, you know, when you're making an animated film, sometimes voice actors come and revoice those characters over the course of years, like in the case of Tom Hanks doing A Toy Story. Now, this is not to say to take away from voice acting at all because great voice acting can make or break an animated movie. Bad voice acting is bad, as you can attest mm-hmm. to. It, it, it'll kill, doesn't matter how good your animation is, but I do think the idea of the actual craft of acting It's the same reason that motion capture is not getting recognized either. We need to evolve more. And I think that these categories are kind of mired in the past, but eventually we'll get there.
2: Yeah, I think eventually we'll. This is the last thing I'll say and we can move on. It's the type of acting that actors should want to do. Like voice acting and motion capture is so very freeing because you're not like... You don't have to do anything involving your meat suit. This isn't going to determine your performance or what you get to play. You get to play absolutely anything and it's only about your actual acting. It's not about how you look. It's not about how you're carrying yourself. You can play any single role possible. So I would think more actors at least would be on board. That's why SAG-AFTRA disappoints me on this one.
0: All right, what's next?
2: From Sam Fisher, congrats to Kihue Kwan. I love that he had the googly eye on his lapel, and <laughs> Michelle Yeoh for their Golden Globe wins. Michelle Yeoh actually revealed in an interview on Sunday that her part in Everything Everywhere All at Once was initially written for Jackie Chan. Hmm.
0: I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. How did I not know that? This is like my favorite or second favorite film of the year. How? Huh? That's interesting. So that would have meant that Kiehui Kwan's role would have been uh, female at that point because they probably probably reversed that i look all i know is when i first went to go see this i had no idea what to expect i thought this was gonna be one of these little indie films that we watch and go oh that was delightful and then never talk about again right right like a lot of a24 films and whatever but i was just so impacted by this movie again chris you bring it up all the time they have a scene of a telepathic conversation a mute telepathic conversation between two rocks Mm -hmm. and it moved me emotionally yeah how the hell did you pull that off (laughs) and and now to get to the award season (laughs) and see them winning awards i I, it's great and it'll be interesting to see how this kind of pans out when we get to the oscars yeah all right what's next
2: from jay king both the banshees of Inashirin and everything everywhere all at once maxed out with four individual acting noms plus ensemble Prior to this year, only 3 films in 29 years have achieved 5 SAG Film nominations: Shakespeare in Love from 1998, Chicago 2002, and Doubt 2008.
0: I ne- that's a that's fascinating really cool. stat. Yeah, it really is. That is a fascinating statistic. I love that. And it again, it does speak to the fact that I think you're looking at a couple of films that are going to be real serious heavyweight frontrunners. Thanks. I lo- I I'm a sports guy. So I love stats. I so little things. I like thank you so much for sending that in. I love that. All right, what's next?
3: Um, Let me, uh, oh, bring this. Oh, uh, there you
2: go. From CJC. Hi guys. Wanted to say I love your show. I really hope the last minute reshoots for Ant Man's include uh, Ant Man includes Luis's hilarious <laughs> recap.
0: Mm. Yeah, it won't. I and honestly, I. You do you? Did you guys ever see? This is going back a ways. Um, Hugh Grant, after the the controversy about. He was married to Elizabeth Hurley, which, dude, you won life. Yeah. Then he got caught with a prostitute and lost that. And then he came out, I think it was Jay Leno. He came out and did his first interview after after being caught and whatever. And he sat down in a chair. Jay Leno, our guest, uh, Hugh Grant, sat down. The very first thing Jay Leno said was, what the hell were you thinking? (laughs) That's kind of what I want to say to Kevin Feige about the fact that Luis is not in Ant-Man 3. Right. What the hell are you now? Now, granted, granted, I suspect that once I watch this movie, I will understand why. Because you've talked about this, Rob, that this movie does not feel like the other Ant-Man movies. The other Ant-Man movies were lighthearted and fun and kind of joyous, even though they had stakes and whatever. Right. None of that seems to apply to this movie. And maybe, maybe once we see the movie, I'll go, oh, yeah, I get it. Maybe throwing in a Luis here would kind of break the tone of the movie. But my initial feeling is, what the hell are you thinking not having Luis in this movie? How? But maybe once I see it, I'll change. I don't know. Do you think maybe that's the reason why we don't have Luis there?
1: I think that's, but there's been a lot of water under the bridge. I mean, we had the whole Thanos snap, and they might even address it in the film. I could see them like, where's his crew? You know that played such integral parts to both Ant Man One and Ant Man Two, and they're gone now. Maybe, maybe they moved away. I, I'm willing to bet there's some acknowledgement of not just Luis, but everybody in Ant Man, Quantumania. I'll bet we hear why. They've got to give me an in-universe reason because everyone's going to ask that question. Where are you? Where are your boys? Where is? Where's your secondary? Well, I mean, if, if if what's that? No,
0: nothing. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: if they were if the movie takes place like (laughs) the family was together looking at this quantum stuff and they get sucked in narratively then you don't have to explain why those other guys aren't there right then you don't have to explain it i just thought from a creative point of view but again if we watch a movie and say yep if Luis was suddenly in here would totally break the tone of the movie maybe then i'll get it all right we got time for just a couple more what's next
3: Oh, that's not the one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> From Devin Pancrear, Kang is getting an even better buildup than Thanos. Love that he's the villain across multiple projects. Also, how did they make that suit work so well in live action?
0: Listen, one of the, adaptation is key is, with everything involving comic book movies, but one of the big things is costume. Got to adapt. Oh. Got to adapt. Um, and honestly, we talked about, I remember we talked about this several months ago when we we were looking at some Kang stuff and it's like, Dude, Kang, it, first of all, Kang is one of the worst design characters in comic books. <laughs> Let's face it. He looks like he's wearing garbage bags. He looks like he's walking around with a big oversized garbage bag and a belt.
2: He looks like he's doing a bit in the Blue Man group. <laughs> yes. Like, I'm waiting for him yes, to launch marshmallows.
0: Um, So there's that. And boy, he looks good in this he looks, trailer. He looks they really good. They find a way to make it look really good. Um, And so... And I'll tell you what, there was a picture you had up earlier, Jonathan. I don't know if you still have it or not, but it's the one where Ant-Man and Kang are standing there facing each other, right? And Jonathan Majors has this smug asshole face that is so awesome. Yeah. Like as Paul Rudd's Ant-Man's looking at him kind of like... This
3: is how I look whenever John asked me to make a change on the show. Yeah.
0: Hey, no, like 30 (laughs) seconds before a show. Hey, Jonathan, I got an idea. And then that's the face he (laughs) made. This is like, but it's
3: like he's saying, have
1: I killed you? It's but, like you have I
0: killed you before.
1: Yeah, it's I, but look at that. That is outfit, such a dude, great outfit. You know what I'm thinking when I see that, John? I bet you know. Hot toy. Hot that's right. That's right. Uh, I thought there was
0: a Star Trek reference coming nope, in, but okay. Nope, yep.
1: nope. That's gonna be one hell of a hot toy. <laughs> I
2: don't think there's been one today. Are you okay? Oh no, there, there, was, there, was, there was. Yeah, so there understood. was a little bit earlier. There was uh, there's some
0: Leonard not Leonard Nimoy, there's some uh um
2: Shat little Shat oh, oh, Yeah, a little Shatner
1: Shatter's the voice of uh Link. All right. That is a Shatner. What's
0: next?
2: From Uncle Drew, Eddie Murphy's blueprint for success was probably the funniest moment of the Golden Globes. I
0: Again, I didn't watch. I just watched some clips after. I heard that was good. Yeah. I heard he made a Will Smith joke and then talked about it afterwards. Although I was walking out through, like I came out of the the spare room where I was working right. to go into the kitchen when, um, oh, what's the name of the comedian? The guy who was basically doing the introduction the for host. Eddie Mur- Greg
2: Carm- Carmichael? Greg
0: Carmichael? Well, no, no, no. No. Uh, uh, they brought somebody else. You know when at the Hall of Fame they bring somebody else? Oh, Tracy out.
2: Morgan. Tracy
0: Morgan, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Tracy Morgan was out there and I didn't know who he was talking about because I just walked through the living room to the kitchen. I heard Tracy Morgan say, You have ten kids. Your pull out game is weak. And I'm like, Okay, I have to stop and turn around to see what Tracy Morgan's talking about. <laughs> uh but then it was really moving because then I as I finished getting what I was getting in the kitchen, turned back around and Tracy Morgan looked like legitimately sincere and said, um, being here to introduce you tonight is the greatest honor of my life. Like talk about Eddie Murphy. And I think a lot of us forget about just how not just formative, but influential that Eddie Murphy was on an entire generation of comedic performers coming up. Like, and seeing this as that was reminded that with the way Tracy Morgan talked about him.
1: Well, like delirious and raw are are like, Mm -hmm. I I, I mean, how many times did, i remember delirious and by the way delirious does have star trek jokes in it and i watched that that special a hundred times i mean i even had the vhs tape oh yeah and uh, i mean that and then raw he he was, was he, he
0: and, and all the movies he was in yeah couldn't couldn't make delirious today oh no 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 all right what's next
2: From Thaddeus Leland, the Ant-Man movies are really good and some of my favorite in the MCU. My mom, who hates Marvel movies, watched both Ant-Man movies and was laughing and having fun the entire time. It's fun when you can enjoy movies with the entire family.
0: Uh, I agree. And again, they're not just good for the entire family. The Ant-Man movies are just really good movies.
1: Yeah, they really are.
0: You know, we always talk about their movies are experiential events. I I went into both of those movies, far more with Ant-Man 1, but walked out having had a great time, smile on my face, I just, yeah, I really like this franchise. What I really like about what we've
1: seen, at least in the trailers for Quantum Mania, is that, you know, Ant-Man 1 was all about Scott Lang wanting to be a good father. And Quantum Mania is that too. You know, apparently he's missed out on the time with his daughter, and the fact that they've kept that fathers and daughters through line running through all three movies, I think is important. I think that that's something they didn't have to do, but it seems like they have, and that's great. That makes those movies more resonant that leaps beyond the their comic book origins to something more. All right, let's take one more.
2: From Hello There. Wait, you gotta do it like Ian Mcgregor. Hello there. <laughs> do you think that Dune film franchise will continue past chapter two?
0: We were, somebody else asked a similar question to this the other day. It's, it's hard, no, you know what? Somebody asked specifically, do we think Denis Villeneuve will continue on past Dune part two? And I don't think he will. Maybe in a producer role, but not as a director. But listen, if Dune chapter two, can build on the success of the first one it'll be released in a much better environment than the first movie got released in and if we can do this look we've got the hbo series coming they definitely want to do more it's going to be all about how does dune part two perform Yep. if it does the way we suspect i think they absolutely will rob what do you think
1: i do think that there's a possibility only because he'd want to finish that trilogy because there's a There's a definite through line with Paul Atreides, and I think Children of Dune and what happens to Paul, it would be irresistible for a filmmaker like Denis Villeneuve to not not tackle, and that would kind of round out his trilogy, only because I've always heard that there was supposed to be a trilogy, you know, Dune, Dune Prophet, they were going to call it, and then Dune Messiah, and that's the first two Dune books, and it makes sense.
0: All right. And guys, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia Show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to our channel members for sending in those questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, by being channel members, you support this channel. And thank you very much from all of us for that all right guys a little bit later this afternoon at 3 p.m los angeles time we're going to be doing an open mic we hope to see you guys back for that that will be all for super chats and we'll be just be taking viewer questions for all that we hope you guys will come back and join us for that so for everybody in the room right over here mr robert meyer burnett ray or has been back there taylor gonzalez jonathan Voiko running the show and of course the wonderful chris carr who owns all the awards my name's john campia um and uh, just just a quick thing, because I'm going to put this up on social media um, in a bit. Uh, um, <laughs> today's been a little bit of a hard show for me. Um, I, I try to bring the energy level, and I try to be all business when I get in here. Um, so uh i i got a call this morning from my sister and uh my uh my nona my my grandmother passed away this morning and it really fucking sucks um now my grandmother my grandmother was uh she was ninety nine <laughs> my grandmother was ninety nine she was A tough bitch, man. My grandmother was 99. She came over from the old country with my grandfather and my dad when he was just a teenager. And they built a life um, in Canada so that their family could have and their offspring could have a better life. And uh, I, 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 I loved my grandmother. And what really sucks is that I recently had to, I had to try to get my, uh, my passport renewed and Staples made a mistake on the photographs I had to submit for my passport renewal. And so my passport renewal got rejected. So I had to delay a visit home recently while I get my, my passport renewed. And so I never got a chance to see my grandmother again. Um, my grandmother Santino was an incredible woman and uh just the best grandmother i mean she would she's the classic european grandmother who would just smother you with affection every time you would see her best cook i i ever knew (laughs) i ever knew ray ray oh my god ray got to visit my grandmother's house when
1: i was hungry and we went there and we had already like was just eating everything like the whole day and then we went there (sighs) and she served some meatballs first
3: and i was like meatballs are the appetizer i was like i'm full i'm full that was just the beginning. This thing lasted like it seemed like three days. This <laughs> feast, and she cooked all of it. It was fantastic. I uh, I, w- I met her twice, I believe. Yeah. And, um, I'm really sorry, John. I, I just heard about it this morning, and, but yeah, she lived a she lived a long life. And I remember my last uh, memory of her was when we were leaving their place. She stood by the window the whole time, watching yep. us leave. It's like like. She stood by the window when we got into the car, we weren't even in view anymore. And then we passed by like leaving. She, We still saw her. Yep, and like,
0: I told you when you pointed that out, that she's been doing that ever since I was a child. Like whenever we'd go and visit, no, 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 no. Whenever we would leave, she would stand at the doorway or stand at the window until we were drive, driven out of sight. She and would wait there
3: the whole time. That's just no what she would No matter how do. long we took.
0: Um, And, uh, so then on top of that my sister then tells me oh and by the way mom's got to go in for surgery today yeah. uh so my mom's in for surgery today and then i talk to my dad my dad goes oh and by the way your brother's going in for surgery today oh. too my brother's getting a rotator cuff fix it's not not life threatening and my mom's is a more standard procedure that's fine too but it's so if i seemed a little bit out of it on today's show and maybe not altogether focused i do apologize for that but it's just been one of those days anyway guys thank you so much for being here and and indulging me as i kind of uh uh, you know dumped on you all there for that thanks so much and guys we will see you again tomorrow and until next time my friends bye-bye